0: Hey folks, don't skip to the interview just yet. I have an important announcement, uh, something I need your help with, or I don't need your help with, folks at the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis do. If you listen to last week's show with Mary Mack, uh, uh, half of our conversation was about the situation they have going on there, where uh, they want to build a, a giant condominium across the street from the Acme Comedy Club which will take away free parking for all the patrons. And the owner, Louis Lee, says if that happens, he will be forced to move the club. And then who knows if the club will even reopen or if it will be as successful as it's been for the past 25 years. So if you go to the Acme Comedy Club page, just Google Acme Comedy Company. I think it's just acmecomedy.com. Just Google it is the fastest way to get to it. Acme Comedy Club, uh, Minneapolis. I'm in Cincinnati. And uh, there's a link to a petition, and I'm not sure if the petition uh, actually works if you're not from Minnesota or Minneapolis, but just in case, do it. If not, we'll just take those names out, and if it does help, it'll really help the club. And uh, you probably aren't listening to this in Minneapolis. I've been to Minneapolis, as I've said before, twice for an hour in the airport, but they're all lovely people up there. And all our friends from up in Minnesota, all the comedians, are just absolutely awesome. Uh, and if you support local comedy where you are, uh, you should probably you know support local comedy in other towns as well, like Minneapolis. So yeah, go to their website, sign the petition, help them out. Now, on with the show.
1: Hi, this is Todd Glass, and you're listening to PF Tape Recorder. Huh? That's a good thing. Put a little music under that. I think you can do a lot with it.
0: I'm PF This is my tape recorder And uh, funny thing happened I recorded the intro To this week's show And I forgot to save it But we're at the Bunbury Music Festival So I thought Hey we'll record The intro to this week's show Here And then we'll do the reviews And everything next week Fangirl's with Which me Which is so much cooler Exactly Hi. Fangirl's taking pictures uh, They'll be on The Pop Culture Beast website In a week or so uh, We'll have interviews Next week from Ex-ambassadors And Austin Plains So far We're trying to get Some other interviews sorted uh, The neighborhood Turned us down So I'm not going to watch them I'm going to watch them because I'm a... uh, Oh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Yuppie. Okay. Oh, and this week's guest is uh, Mo Ammer. Mo
1: talks about why uh, folks seem to be uh, gravitating
0: towards Donald Trump.
1: I think they're just scared, man. I think they're scared, and they're just preying on the simple-minded, and it's working. And fangirl's running off to say hi to somebody, and uh, we're going
0: to have a dumb bit coming up. Uh, I was going to do like a real easy dumb bit, which is uh, Facebook, not Factbook. And I was able to come up with one, so let's go to that right now. (laughs) So as I mentioned, we're covering the Bunbury Music Festival this weekend. And uh, as I'm recording this, we're getting ready to go out the door to the festival on Saturday. Uh, but I wanted to do a dumb bit. And, of course, Facebook, not Factbook, always popular, always easy to do usually. And uh, this week, no exception. Uh, where do you go for some good Facebook, not Factbook? By a good Newsbusters Facebook page, of course. So uh, with that in mind, here is...
2: It's- Facebook, not Factbook.
0: Okay, so when I was looking to do this bit, I went to the Newsbusters Facebook page. Immediately, right on the top, there's something they're all upset about. Natasha Legaro, she's a comedian. She was on the Conan O'Brien program. And she's fine. She's, you know, she's okay. It isn't a matter of that, you know, chicks can't be funny. It's just a matter of, you know... I discovered this years ago. I used to think that when I was young and stupid that, oh, chicks aren't funny. Well, the the problem is most comedians aren't funny. There's only some that are or let me put it a better way. Some comedians are way funnier than others. Let's put it that way. And, you know, and she's fine, and she's talented, and, she, you know, she's a writer as well, and, and, like me, maybe she's a better writer than she is a stand-up comic. But anyway, so she was on the Conan O'Brien program talking about her conversion to Judaism, and she got in a little discussion uh, about abortion, and see what you can, uh, see if you can figure out what got Newsbusters so upset. Yeah, it's, uh, of course you know, it is. You yeah. you get to have a weekly Shabbat. It's uh, which is just like a party every Friday.
2: Uh, These courses did not stick with you. <laughs> I think you just listened to one podcast and you you're like, of, I'm Jewish now. I got this down.
0: You're part of this beautiful religion, mm-hmm. steeped in culture. Abortions are cool. <laughs> you could get an. I don't abortion- think
2: they go around saying abortions are cool. <laughs> you could get. I'm not like the fons. That's, that's on the PSA. Yeah. Judaism. Abortions, abortions are cool. <laughs> you could. No, no, no one's going around saying. And,
0: a- no, they do. I mean, you could get an abortion on every Jewish holiday, and it would be okay. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to get an abortion, but you know, it's just nice to. It's like AAA. Like you're not going to use all those toes. But, no, it's just nice to know.
2: <laughs>
0: do you have a big Catholic following?
2: <laughs> I just, I just, I just was given a signal that, that Jews don't want you anymore. <laughs>
0: No, I there. love is. Get her out.
2: Get her out of here. She's out. So go no, back to those heathen Catholics.
0: They they just think differently about. They it. think differently. Like the the Catholic, like Catholicism, they believe that even if you are raped, you should not get an abortion. Right?
2: Hardcore. This is Catholic. my comedy act. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is your comedy act. This is fantastic.
0: So now of course she's saying not that it's that abortion is cool, and Conan points this out. Not like the Fonz, hey, that's a cool thing to do, but cool as in the religion is cool with it, as opposed to Catholicism. Now, y- yes, newsbusters would be upset about that, too. And here's the thing, like I always say, that's the one thing with n- newsbusters and conservatives and people like that. I, I get the argument. I get why they're upset. Uh, not with things like, oh, if we raise taxes, then everybody will have, if we lower taxes, and everybody will have jobs, and if we give everybody a gun, then everybody will be safe. That's stupid. But the abortion thing, I understand. I get it. I still think woman should be able to choose but i get their argument and i totally understand it and maybe someday i could be swayed over to that side but not the gun and the tax and all that other crazy nonsense they believe but anyway so uh you know kona tries to steer it back to where like he's just saying oh you're just saying that they're not as upset about as catholicism and i guess Newsbuster says she bashes catholicism at the end there as well i didn't quite get that but here's the the thing is uh to when they posted this on their facebook page they said, even jokes have limits. Now, people would say, you know, oh well, you should be able to joke about anything, and you can, and there are people that, that, that say that. But here's the thing. when I, I teach the young people comedy writing, even though I'm probably not qualified to do so. And what I've always said is a little formula I teach them is that the uh, the punchline has to be greater than the setup. And this is why a lot of like disaster jokes aren't funny, like when there's an airplane crash and people make jokes a couple days later. They're usually not funny because the disaster is fresh in people's mind and the tragedy is fresh in people's mind that the punchline doesn't overcome the setup of the tragedy. Now, it can if it's a really good punchline, but 99 times out of 100, I'm going to say it's not. So the setup has to be uh, the punchline has to be greater than the setup, and if you're really, you know, in, it invested in the abortion issue, then yeah, what she's saying isn't going to be funny because even though she's not saying it, it's a cool thing to do, it's just that the religion is cool with it, and that's funny that you know that Judaism is more laid back, I guess, than Catholicism. If you're that invested in the issue, you're not going to find that funny. That's fine. The thing is, is they say that even jokes have their limits. Oh, really? So when Donald Trump says this,
1: gets out and she starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions yeah, so sure. and. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever, but uh, she was... Uh... Ha 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 ha, <laughs> you scamp Donald Trump.
0: Yes, he was saying that about Megyn Kelly, of course, and uh, that's cool, that that joke has no limits all oh, that, that's a perfectly funny joke, blood coming out of her, whatever. Ha 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 ha. And uh, here's the thing I find odd about that is that I don't really know how Newsbusters feels about Donald Trump, but I I think I can guess. Uh, I'm sure when that thing, I should go back and look this up. I think when that whole thing took place, they were probably kind of in a conundrum at first. thinking, well, gee, she works for Fox News, but he's a rich white man. Rich white man, gal that works for Fox News, white man, gal, white man, gal. Okay, (laughs) Donald Trump, you scamp, you're hilarious. So that's why we should always remember, folks.
2: It's Facebook, not Factbook.
0: This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. And this just in, go to any of our Home Shirts websites, use the code COMEHOME, all one word, and receive 20% off for a limited time. Now, on with the show.
1: Hey, how's it going?
2: Good. Whoops. Yeah, P.F. Wilson is from Minneapolis City Pages, and uh, I don't know if I asked you in the email. How are you? Good. Is it okay if we use the audio for this on my podcast?
1: Sure. Are You recording the audio? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Ah, uh, cool, man. All right. Well, uh, let's start with the, from the beginning. You were born in Kuwait, but then you moved to Texas. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: that's a, that's definitely the beginning, brother. <laughs> well, see, I, uh, I was in a different realm, and then I came into existence in my mother's womb, and I happened to come <laughs> out in, in Kuwait, yes. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, was born in, I was born in Kuwait, um, and I uh, had to leave after the first Gulf War. That's oh. very correct.
2: Oh, wow, okay. Um, so you, you obviously you mm-hmm. spent most of your life in Texas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the vast majority. So I've been in Texas 24 years. 25 years, so I just recently moved to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. But yeah, I've been in the States for, for a majority of
2: my life. Okay. Yeah, you do seem much more like a Texan than you do anything
0: else.
1: Yeah, damn right. <laughs> yeah, I am. You know, I, I, think, I do take pride in uh, in being a Texan, you know, and you know, all my memories and all my uh, childhood friends that I grew up with are from there. So, yeah, absolutely, I have, I have an affinity and a, and a very special place in my heart for Texas, absolutely. Um, I can also say that about Kuwait, although it was a very short-lived. Um, however, it's still there, and I can also say that about the West Bank, Palestine, where I'm, my family's originally from. So well, right. I have a very a lot of places that hold a very special place in my heart. Um, but uh, but yeah, none other than you know Texas is a very very special place to me where I had where I grew up and uh, had most majority of my experiences.
2: So were you funny as a kid and? Uh... Try to you know get, make friends that way. Or I, was was <laughs> I was
1: hysterical. <laughs> no, I was hysterical. No, I was a funny kid. I was uh, a very happy kid and uh, you know imaginative. And would always tell stories, act stuff out, and, and yeah, I was always that way for sure. Uh, I wasn't introduced to the art form of stand up until I was ten. So I've been in the states for about a year at that time. Um, and, you know, really kind of depressed. My parents weren't around at that time. You know, everybody's still, you know, collecting their things and coming slowly back to America. And, uh, so, uh, so my brother was trying to get my mind off of things and he took me to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Uh, and, uh, the, it was co-headlined by the band Alabama and none other than Bill Cosby.
2: Oh, there so, you go. <laughs> that,
1: was a, that was the first time I was introduced to stand-up comedy and I saw Bill Cosby tell stories for a solid hour, I think it was, about 45 minutes to an hour, and he just utterly destroyed in front of 60-plus thousand people at the historic Astrodome in Houston, Texas. And I looked at my brother, I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna do that So That's what I'm gonna do. That's what I said, I said, that's what I'm gonna do. He looked at me like I was a little crazy or whatever. But, uh, you know, we weren't familiar with stand-up comedy. It's uh, it's one of three indigenous art forms to America. So it was jazz, hip-hop, and stand-up. At that time, hip-hop and jazz uh, has spread pretty well. Hip-hop was still making its way. uh, But stand-up now is, uh, is a global art form, has become a global art form with the rise of you know, uh, the internet and introducing it that way to all these different markets around the world. So it's, yeah, so that's that's the first time I saw it. And then four years later, I started doing stand-up comedy in my classrooms and in high school. And uh, three years after that, I was performing in comedy clubs. And shortly after, I started touring full-time. So it's um, literally been the last 20 years of my life in stand-up comedy.
2: So kind of, did you view uh, your classroom and classmates as as an audience Pretty soon after seeing Cosby and thinking this is, this is kind of like my training ground, or did it just naturally happen that way?
1: I, it was naturally unfolding. So when I was fourteen, is the first time I actually like performed. But I was always like a funny kid um, that had the clever lines at different times. You know, I was I was that kid, um, but uh, but it wasn't like uh, I wasn't taking it seriously until I was fourteen. Like really, really doing stand up. So I my teacher, you know, my father passed away when I was fourteen and I was acting out and skipping school and my English teacher uh took me aside and um said that um you're not gonna make it and how would your father feel about that? I was like, That'd be terrible. I come from you know, um uh, my entire family is extremely highly educated and it would be, uh, it would be devastating if I didn't graduate or I would fail out of high school. Uh, and she said, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, give you the same grade that you had before, but you have to go up in front of the class and recite a monologue from Shakespeare. You can pick whatever you want. At that time, we were studying Macbeth. And so, um, and so, uh, yeah, so I ended up going up in front of the class and doing a monologue with a British accent. And it was hilarious. And all the kids started laughing. And, and then she let me do stand up every, uh, every Friday. Uh, she let me do stand-up in class. So I was, uh, and then she dragged me over to the theater arts department, and then my other teachers caught wind of it, and I started doing stand-up in all my classes. It became like my extra credit. As a matter of fact, one time, my Spanish teacher uh, got me out of three other classes to uh, to do stand-up in, uh, in the other Spanish classes. So I was, I was skipping other classes to do stand-up, for other teachers. <laughs> That's cool. So, so I became really good at it pretty quickly.
2: So what kind of stuff, what was your material like back then? Was it about school or was it about life in general or being uh, from Kuwait? Yeah, I would,
1: do, I would do stuff about school, but I would improvise a lot and I would pick on the you know students and stuff and I would do like a Chris Farley impersonation while I was making fun of everybody in the class. Uh, and I would just do, you know, random stuff like that. I had one joke about a Indian delivery guy that's delivering it to a white racist dude and he never gets, and he gets basically beaten up and then he complains about a tip, or something like yeah. that. I can barely remember, but I was doing stuff around those lines. You know, I was just still very teenager Uh You know, I thought the, I thought the pizza delivery one was actually, uh, it deserved more credit, you know? Yeah. He's delivering it, and it's just so funny that all he cares about is temp. He
2: doesn't even care about the racism that gave him or the fact that... That is funny. I just
1: thought that was... I thought that was a smart joke. I mean, that was probably, like, my smartest joke that I had going on. I was 14,
2: so... (laughs) I tell you what, as a former pizza delivery person, I can appreciate that a lot more, so maybe it's, you know... Yeah, no, I had a good time with it, you know, and then I um, I
1: was... uh, I was working for a family friends uh, flag company. Yes, that's correct, I like said flags. We distributed and sold flags globally. And uh, and I was reading the Houston Press and I looked back on the, uh, the back page of the Houston Press and they had an advertisement for the Houston's Funniest Person Competition at the historic Last Stop Comedy Club in Houston. So I thought that was a really good opportunity to introduce myself and uh, to be involved, and I signed up two days later, I was on stage, I was terrified, I had to write all this new material like two days before, ended up making like wild card and kind of making some progress, and started introducing myself to all different comics, and they thought they saw they had, I had talent, I was so young. and they would put me up and then I was introduced to the Comedy Showcase another the Comedy Club and that's where I was uh, uh, Danny Martinez the owner of that club who was a uh, uh, mentor to many comedians who went on through very successful careers he took me under his wing and uh, the rest is history uh, he taught me everything I need to know about stand-up and next thing you know I'm touring the world doing stand-up comedy and uh, most recently the uh, last two and a half plus years opening the, with Dave Chappelle and um, filming my special—it's been—it's been amazing, you know. This little refugee kid from Kuwait uh, uh, has done pretty decently for himself thus far. You know, I never imagined it to go this far, and uh, it's only growing. So, it's—I'm uh, just enjoying every moment of it and trying to just embrace it and be better at what I do, constantly. So,
2: having had that kind of three years of doing it pretty solidly in school, did you feel that you were? Maybe more prepared than the average, you know, first-time open micer going to last up, or were you still pretty nervous?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely was way more prepared, because aside from doing that, I was also in theater arts. I was a big part of theater arts. After I did that uh, performance in English class, uh, my teacher took me to the theater arts department and said, this kid has been coming every Friday doing a new set, doing all these different accents. Uh, I think he really needs to be in theater arts. So she introduced me to Eugene Kreisner, whom I knew from middle school. She just transferred over to high school, and uh, next thing you know, I was um, had lead roles in musicals and figured out I could, you know, sing decently enough to get away with it. And, and uh, learning dance numbers and, you know, learning about timing and the history of theater and performance and. What have you? So yeah, absolutely. I felt like uh, I was, uh, I was, you know, way ahead. Um, as well with that is that I've had the training to, you know, be in front of an audience regularly and, and, I was so young and fearless, right? I didn't really care. And I was maybe, maybe too young to notice what kind of, what, what I was doing. You know what I mean? how significant it is. I think when you start older and older, you start doubting yourself more. And when you're younger, you're just oblivious to the obstacles. You're just like, I have a dream and I'm going to go for it you can't really see everything beyond that yeah. so I think that's what was happening and, and, and it made me way way more comfortable and it made it a lot easier for me to uh, do what I did for sure for
2: sure so uh, since you're in Los Angeles are you going to be pursuing more of that stuff or still just focusing on stand-up at this point
1: uh, I definitely you know stand-up is my love brother man I it's my uh, my mistress I love stand-up so much and it's something that I desire to get so great at and, uh, and you know, I have, uh, I have uh, goals and aspirations to hit in, in the realm of stand-up. However, I am also developing um, my own shows, and but you'll hear about that soon, hopefully in the next couple of years, but I'm working on, a um, you know, a pilot right now for my own series, and uh, I'm also working on a stand-up series as well, so um uh, hopefully hear about it in the next couple of years i'm hoping to make a pretty big splash and uh and really uh and the really, um, you know just have something that people can look for specifically you know arab uh, and muslim minorities can look at and say wow this guy did it in this time frame you know 30 years 40 years down the line that's what i'm trying to do uh, cuz when i first started stand up comedy uh, in 95 how so night that was only like two of us or three of us that were, that were doing stand up from my background. Yeah, so I think it's really important to leave something uh, special uh, for people to um, you know to refer to and, and to introduce us to market to the marketplace other than being terrorists or you know, evil Muslims, which I'm just nauseated by and so sick by that America still hasn't learned from its previous mistakes and continues to perpetuate the same crap that they did with the uh, Japanese in the 40s, black people in the, in the, during the civil rights movement, obviously we know that lasts much longer than just the civil rights movement, still it struggled today. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's really important to, uh, to, uh, you know, um, basically, uh, be able to introduce our communities and, and and give people insight into how we are. I think it's really really great tool to use stand up for that purpose. You know the the real beauty of Deaf Comedy Jam. Uh, nobody saw anything like that before. You know uh, it gave you a lens inside the black community of stand up and the way it was shot, how they laughed, how they interacted with whether how you know etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and how it just like boosted and, and gave a platform. Bernie Mac and blew him up and, you know, Chappelle was on that show, although he was still doing well at that time. Martin Lawrence blew up from that show. Uh, Mr. Chris Tucker was on that show. So that's, that's what I, that's what I'm striving to do is to create a platform to where, you know, Muslim comics or Arab comics, whichever way you want to identify it, have the ability to showcase, uh, what they do to the best of their ability and to give them the platform to do so. That is the ultimate dream for me, aside from, you know, having my own body of work. By the time I retire, God knows when that'll be. But, um, yeah, it was definitely a long-term plan, and, and i look to uh, make a significant difference or a significant impact on, um, on stand-up and, and culturally and socially as well.
2: Do, are you feeling the Trumpification of America, or is that something that the media is maybe... <laughs> uh are putting too much of a focus on Trump,
1: man. I think he should win no man I fuck that guy <laughs> I I uh I just you know at this thing he's like I don't know man it's really really creepy you know I, this morning I was you know how we do like we just get lost in social media sometimes sure. uh well frequently actually so I was just ripping through my timeline earlier today and they showed this video where Trump's voice was dubbed over um over the like fifties civil rights movement, fifties and sixties. Oh wow. Uh, you know, when they had like yeah, they had that dubbed over there and it gave I'm getting chills right now actually talking that it, it gave me chills, bro. I was just like, wow. Um indeed history is repeating itself. And the way he's talking and the way they were the videos were playing out was exactly on how he was speaking. They were basically doing the same thing. And I think it's like, you know, Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Wise. He's a scholar and just like one of the most sophisticated guys. I just love him so much. And he's talking about how they just change words instead of saying the N-word. They just change things up, you know? So I think that's what it is about make America great again. What it's saying is that it's make America white again, you know? And uh, and that's what I feel from it, and the way everybody's acting around him, and, and his rallies and things of that nature, it is looking to be exactly that. And I think that all he's doing is is just just like all politicians have done, quite frankly, is um, is uh, you know prey on the simple-minded. And I think I think all those people that are reacting that way are actually good, decent people in their hearts. Yeah, and they're just being fed particular information over and over again and they're scared they're absolutely terrified you know they're really really simple middle America people uh, I hate to say this but it's kind of true uh, they're not very highly educated at all uh, they're not sophisticated I'm pretty I would be pretty surprised if any of them actually traveled overseas or went overseas the fact that uh, you know 30 percent of Americans have a passport is absolutely astonishing to me you know especially when you need one to get uh, into Canada so I believe excuse me
2: especially when you need one just to get into Canada or to Mexico that's a shockingly low number exactly
1: so they (laughs) they haven't even traveled that So to me that's mind-blowing that only 30% of people have that, and I'm sure that some of it is economically uh, yeah. uh, economically related, but still, at the same time, like, it's only 30%, like, you can't tell me, it's only people that have the ability to travel or have the interest to travel, so I think uh, I think they're just scared, man. I think they're scared, and, uh, and they're just preying on the simple-minded, uh, and it's working, and it's working. What? And uh, and that stuff, to me, is in their DNA. You know, yeah. it's in their DNA. It's in there. All you need to do is just, if there's a recipe that's out there, uh, it's called fear. You know, that's the main spice is fear. You add that in there and add more fear. Heavy on the fear, man. Heavy on that spice. Uh, and people get scared and, uh, and they react. And so they feel like, yes, you know what? We do need to make America again. Let's punch this black girl in the face while she's leaving a rally. Like, what the fuck is going on? What the hell's going on? Is that how you felt the whole time? Is that what's going on? Has it been, has Barack Obama been really that bad? I think everybody's going to miss the hell out of Barack Obama. Anymore. So I just, it's just very sad um, how politics has become purchased uh, in America completely. Uh, just like Carlin said, you know, it's already yeah. been sold and purchased a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. The shit that they shuffle around every four years and he does a masturbating motion he's like yeah Pfft. he does that that's all that is yeah. because at least when I'm done masturbating I have something to show for it folks yeah. you know yeah he's he's absolutely right man it's been purchased and and it's been sold and uh, the fact that citizens United is a law that exists where corporations which have endless amount of you know money to 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 follow to, to any candidate that they want to have an office just tells you where we are. You know, this is not freedom to me. This is not freedom. But
2: as an Arab American, it's, uh,
1: it's... go ahead.
2: As, as an Arab American, are you are you seeing people embrace this more? Are you seeing a backlash against this kind of thought, though? Because there are a lot of people speaking out about it. But what, from your perspective, is it tipping one way or the other, or is it?
1: In what way? I'm sorry, I'm confused. Tipping one what? way or the other. And, what, in, and in what,
2: what, is, are people embracing uh, this kind of you know, anti-Arabic, uh, anti-Muslim res- rhetoric more, or are people reacting against it and saying, hey, no, you can't do that, this isn't right?
1: I think I think there definitely is. People are saying, I think there's a lot of people that exist, hey, man, you can't do that, you can't do that. Um, but I feel like what's been given the most airtime is the negativity and the punching and the, you know, what have you. has been given way more airtime. So I think that a lot of people that exist that say, hey man, this is BS, but their voices are not loud enough. Yeah. And they're not, if their voice is not loud enough, they're not given the platform um, to uh, to discuss it on a national level. Because it's
2: not shocking. Saying it's, you know, saying, it's yeah, saying that's wrong. It's not kind of
1: shocking. shocking, yeah. We live, in a, we, live, we live in an era of world star hip-hop, man. Worldstar, people getting punched in the face, teenagers having fights. I mean, we're so desensitized. It's terrifying. We're such a hyper-sexualized society and hyper, like, just, uh, um, you know, uh, just, like, it's so freaking, kind of so much shit. You just hop on Worldstar, just watch a video, and uh, within six minutes, you saw a guy, like, get his head Cut off, uh, God knows what else happens, and then it ends with some chick, you know, shaking her ass at the end. Like, yeah. what the hell is this? This is what we, this is what our kids and everybody is being programmed to do. There's nothing really shocking about anything that happens now. It's hard to be shocked or even have any sympathy towards anybody because your mind has completely been reprogrammed.
2: Yeah, I mean, so
1: about the games that they constantly play on television. Arnold Schwarzenegger, y'all get into war. You buy this game. I forgot what the name of the game is. But it's all about like, you know, from your hands, it's just, you know, hunting down Arabs and shooting them. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. What are all these games? What are all these games? You're hunting down terrorists. Look at that guy. right shoot him in the head. You know, God knows what's happening. Uh, Grand Theft Auto, where you're raping prostitutes in a car and then going off and jacking somebody and stealing them, throwing a grain and doing mass murders. That's what people are being programmed. They think it's insignificant, but it's highly significant, and it's planting a seed in people's minds. Nobody's talking about the fact that 15 out of the 17 mass shootings in America were done at the hands of white people. Yeah, Nobody's I... talking about that from 2014 on, cops have killed more uh, uh, people in America than U.S. Army has killed uh, civilians in Afghanistan since 2003. That's fucking insane.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it's amazing you keep a sense of humor, uh, you know, given all that and given how it's directly affecting you.
1: I, I you know to me I love being a stand-up comedian for this and purpose I get to talk about things from my perspective from my own experiences and people can say you know people can walk away with, you know with a whole new perspective it's not my agenda it's just like I'm, my goal is to be hilarious that's what my goal is yeah. you know <laughs> the worst thing I could be is an Arab stand-up comedian who happens to be Muslim uh, who really sucks at his job <laughs> that
2: wouldn't be helpful <laughs> that's hopeful. the
1: worst thing you can. Could... <laughs> That would be the worst thing you could do. But like, oh, God, these Arabs, they are terrible. Not right. only are they terrorists, but they are not funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be the worst. We have to be excellent in everything we do.
2: Yes. Well, well, you are very funny, sir, and people shouldn't be afraid because the first four letters, your last name... Are the same as American, so people should take comfort in that.
1: Exactly. <laughs> well, pre- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Appreciate,
2: appreciate you taking the time today, man. Uh, glad we got this knocked out, and this, of uh, course, will be in print in City Pages the week you're up there, and it'll drop a week from Sunday on the podcast. So uh, check it out in all on all platforms, as they say.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for having me, man. I look forward to it. And the last time I was in. Uh... Minneapolis. I was with Dave Chappelle, and I'm I'm actually gonna probably uh, be there this week. I'm gonna pop in and oh, great. do a couple of the shows. Oh
2: very good.
1: Yeah, he's there this week, and I'm I've, I just left his tour in uh, Pittsburgh, and he asked me to stay. I was like, no man, I can't. I have to go to Edmonton. Can't cancel all these people.
2: Yeah,
1: and so uh, I I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be up there this week too.
2: Cool. Well, great I'm man.
1: Looking forward to it. Well, and feel free to reach out if you're in the area.
2: Sure, we'll, we'll do uh, a good good talk. To you. A nice chat. We'll talk to you again soon. Likewise. Thank Na- you, brother. Thanks, both.
0: Thanks again to Mo Ammer for being on the show. You can catch Mo in Minneapolis June 8th through the let me see. June 12th. It says on his website, the Comic Strip. That is not correct. He is playing Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. He is at the Comic Strip in Phoenix June 15th through June 17th, and I'm sorry, through June 19th, and then it's a homecoming of sorts uh, at the Improv in Houston, his hometown, uh, August 7th, so do check him out. For all things Moammer, go to moammer.com, spelled just like it sounds, M-O, and then the first four letters of American, because... He is all right. So uh, let me see um, the credits. I think we'll skip this week. I wanted to uh, um, hope I remember to do this up front. I record the show out of order, but uh, please go to the Acme Comedy website and sign the petition. I don't know if you're not a Minnesota resident or even a uh, resident of Minneapolis if technically it counts but i think if they have enough people around the country supporting this Uh, we talked about this with mary mack last week the acme they want to build a big condominium across the street from the acme it'll take away all the parking and then nobody will go to the acme and the acme is one of the best comedy clubs in the country along with go bananas in cincinnati a lot of the folks we talk to play the acme so let's help them out okay um if you can if it it, go ahead and sign the petition i mean it can't hurt right they'll just say well these these don't count. And if it does count, then it's going to help the Acme out a lot. Okay. So we're up to the song of the week here. How about that? Um, I have a new day job. Those of you who don't skip past all of the stuff just to hear the interview uh, know that I was working in Dayton for a while and loved where I was working, but it was an hour long drive. It was one of those like California, Los Angeles type commutes. And I got a new gig. It's literally uh, six minutes from my house. And uh, I had to go down to a conference in Orlando and uh, work with a lot of young people and the one uh, dude that was taking me to the back to the airport was listening to the, uh, this cat named Leon Bridges. Now, this album came out actually last year, last July. Uh, I believe the album is called Coming Home. And one of the singles off of it is Smooth Sailing. And uh, I really like this album a lot. And uh, so, uh, like I said, Smooth Sailing, I believe, was one of these singles. It is our song of the week this week. Leon Bridges, Smooth Sailing. PF's tape recorder, so long, and thanks for listening.
1: Sailing these concrete seas Now she headed east down the boulevard. The Sure, said I like the way Said I like the way You sail your ship now Let me be your cargo I won't wear you down No, honey, I won't wear you down A destination, but I got a feeling I need to be your passenger You should let me be your passenger I shook, said I like the way, said I like the way yeah. You sail you ship out, let me be your clock on I won't weigh you down, no honey I won't wear you down Eu